Welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, and life itself. In this hour, we are taking a journey of healing and hope in light of Father's Day. Less barbecue, more nurturing. We're speaking with Mark Perlman today and his son, Corey, about their work to empower dads to find their role as fully integrated, loving caregivers within their families. Raising the Nurturing Father, a journey of healing and hope today here on An Organic Conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg. Mark Mulcahy. And Sitarani Palomar. I thought we were going to call our dads today, Helga. <laughs> yeah, no. After the Mother's Day show where we did indeed call our mothers, It was so wonderful and so stressful. I didn't think we should repeat that. Maybe next year. Next, Maybe next, next year. Next year we might call our dads. Yes. This is a really sweet show, though. I, I'm really excited to have our guest on. And for me, I, I have such wonderful memories of my dad braiding my hair in the music room while we were listening to orchestral music and he was teaching me what each of the instruments were and and my stepdad is also this amazingly gentle man even though he's six foot something he's 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 a gentle giant and I wonder how much of that is my perspective as a daughter but I I do feel like this is a really interesting topic about um, the the male capacity to nurture yeah when we talked about this show and what father's day what do we want to What we want to tackle, I do think there's a role that a, a dad or a beginning father needs to grow into, just as you were saying, Mark, a mother is born in the moment she gives birth, so is a father. And from my male perspective, there's fairly little, now more than before, but fairly little tools or peer support out there to really understand how to assume that role of a strong and loving and you know integrated caregiver there's an immediate bond between mother and son and mother and daughter and then you know the the dad has to find a role within that without having that direct biological bond of 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 nursing for example and yet the nourishing the nurturing father is so important in 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 society and in family so That's this week's focus, Marco. But and it's interesting because uh, the whole drive here, I was just this is where my thoughts were, and you know, my father wasn't a real n nurturing person, and we'll go more into that later on. But he did laugh easily, and he had a great attitude towards life. And even as he was sick uh, later in his life, doctors told me the thing that was keeping him alive was his attitude. And I think that's what I most took from him um, were gifts that he gave me, even though it didn't come across in a necessarily in a nurturing way. In my own daughters, I think that often nurturing comes in so many ways that, I mean, uh, what my daughters have told me is that they were allowed to be whoever they wanted to be and without expectations on being something in particular of my own expectations and that they were able to be silly. And that was uh, that's how they felt like I was able to nurture them was that just by allowing them to feel okay about being silly and yeah, you know the smallest things in life like you remembering this the hair braiding and, and listening mm -hmm. to the different musical instruments in the orchestra. Yeah, well, and when you were saying that, that reminded me of another memory of being with my stepdad, and he's he's a brilliant man, and he was teaching me. I think algebra and long division or something at a very, very young age, years before we were learning it in school. And something about what you said about being silly conjured this memory of something that was the opposite of silly. It was so intellectual. And yet I can't recall another time in my life where I've been taught something so complicated and had it be so warm. Mm. It was mm -hmm. just, I, 
I, I, I can't even put it into, I can't articulate it, but mm -hmm. there was such a warmth and an excitement about teaching me this and I didn't get frustrated mm -hmm. and wow, it's fun to walk down memory lane mm -hmm. with dad. And it's great to <laughs> know that this kind of, that, that this topic, that this work is gaining more and more attention and is becoming more and more important in society and in families as men realize, you know, where the peer support in in community and society is maybe missing and the great work that is now being done. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Wilkehi. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And today we are talking about the Nurturing Father, a journey of healing and hope. Wonderful work that is being done out of Florida, but certainly relevant to dads all across the country and far beyond. In light of Father's Day, we are dedicating this hour to a program that focuses on providing the healing and the tools for a full integration of the caregiving father in families everywhere. It will be a beautiful hour, but before we dive into this topic, as always, we are starting the show off with a weekly tip from the world of health and beauty, inner and outer, that is. Here's Chef Sita and her holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. Well, as you've heard us talk about quite a bit in recent episodes, it is the time of berries. Berries are here in the summertime. We are getting ready to do picnics and barbecues or even maybe just a berry summer dessert. And to me, one of the most quintessential summer desserts are berries with whipped cream. It's really that simple. And this week I wanted to share my tips on how to make the perfect whipped cream, whether a traditional with heavy cream or a dairy-free version. So a couple of basic rules to get you started. When you make whipped cream, make sure everything is chilled. And I'm not just talking about the cream itself. You want to chill your bowl, which I find that a metal bowl, a stainless steel bowl, something like that really holds that temperature, that cold temperature better. And you want to chill your whisks or your beaters if you're using a hand mixer. And make sure the bowl you use is kind of larger than you expect because as you whip cream, when it's a little bit on the liquidy side, it splashes a lot, but it also increases a lot in volume as you whip air into it. And so heavy cream in particular, I think is best whipped by hand. Rather than using a hand mixer, if you use whisks, you get a softer final product. And an over-whipped whipped cream, it starts to separate and you get kind of the fattier parts, which is almost like you've made butter at that point. So using a, a whisk and doing it by hand will give you that soft peak that you're looking for. And I think using two whisks is one of the best tips I have ever learned. I worked with a really phenomenal chef who learned this tip from Jacques Torres, who is otherwise known as Mr. Chocolate. And what he did was he would take one smaller whisk and kind of nest it into a larger one. And what it does is it adds this additional, it's almost like double the power of whipping and incorporating more air into your whipped cream. So it sounds a little complicated. I'll get a photo up on Facebook so that you can see what it looks like. It's really not that hard. But what it does, like I said, is it'll let you get to that soft peak faster. And this exact same chef also taught me a really interesting trick of putting a little bit of salt and a little bit of pepper into the whipped cream. And most people are blown away when I say pepper. It really depends on what you're serving it with. If you're going to use it with chocolate, the pepper adds a nice spicy quality to it. But of course, people also like to add sweeteners to their whipped cream. I generally find that whatever I'm serving it with is sweet enough, so I'll just add a little bit of vanilla and sea salt. But if you want to add a sweetener, I like to use liquid sweeteners because I think they incorporate better. Something like a, a brown rice syrup or a maple syrup or a honey really, really nicely gets incorporated into your whipped cream. 
And so the soft peaks that you're looking to form are kind of like when you lift your whisk out of the cream, you'll form a little bit of a peak, but it won't flop over. That's kind of the sign that it needs to go a little bit further, but it's not super stiff. So you find that balance and that is the ultimate texture you want that you can just dollop on top of whatever you're serving for dessert. But truly, my favorite whipped cream is coconut whipped cream. And one of the things I love about it is that, one, everybody can eat it because if you have a dairy allergy, you can eat it. If you happen to be a vegan and you don't do any dairy products, this is a dairy-free alternative. And coconut is so good for you, in particular coconut fats, which are medium-chain fatty acids, which can be used almost entirely for energy. We had a great show on coconut recently. You can check out more on our website. But when you make your own coconut whipped cream, you want to start with the full-fat coconut milk. So I get a canned coconut milk and not the light kind, full-fat for sure. Just like with the other whipped cream I recommended, chill everything. You want to put the coconut cans in the refrigerator overnight. And what happens is it causes the fat to come to the top. It separates from the liquid. So that way, when you you take the, the lid off, when you open the can, at the top, you're left with this really creamy, pure white coconut fat. And the bottom is a little bit more like coconut water. So spoon off that coconut fat at the top, which is a half and sometimes maybe a a two thirds of the can. It's quite a lot, which is great. And you can save that liquid for smoothies later on, but you just want to use that creamy white part. Put that in your chilled bowl, add your sweetener, add your vanilla extract. And here is where using a hand mixer really makes the job better. You're going to use the, the cold beaters in the cold bowl with the coconut fat, Beat it until it gets super fluffy, and that's how you get a really fantastic dairy-free coconut whipped cream. And this is great on top of strawberry shortcake. It's great on top of a bowl of blueberries, blackberries, cherries. You can also use it as a dip for your favorite fruit. So have something sweet and satisfying this summer, and uh, that was this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. I thought I heard it all, you know, at one point, but no, not so. Cool your, your whiskers. Did I say whiskers? Or whippers? <laughs> Whisks. I, I was, I was uh, mesmerized by that you would cool them before you actually use them. It's If everything is cold, it's going to whip faster. It makes perfect sense. It's just, That's wow. why Timber always has his whiskers in the refrigerator. <laughs> That's right. Yes, shout out to Timber, my dog. Um, wow, did you know that, Mark? Use I didn't cold know equipment. about using cold whis- whiskers. Whiskers. Whis- whis- <laughs> yeah, whiskers. Whiskers? Whisks. Or whisks. Whisks, yeah. not curs. Yeah, it didn't occur to me there. You know, one of the things that we used to do at family functions was we would take whipped cream and we'd stick it in a jar with sugar or honey, and uh, and then you'd have kids oh, take small oh. jars, and they've got plenty of energy, and so you have them shake, them. shake up jars <laughs> for two to three minutes until they made their own whipped cream. So, like, you could do a baby-sized jar or a mason-sized jar. And it's actually kind of a fun thing because we tried it with a big mason jar one time. I think it was Thanksgiving. And you think, oh, this is easy. I'll just get it all done. And then you got one person shaking and they're like, okay, I'll pass it on to somebody else. How do you do it? You have a mason jar, smaller smaller in size. You put in what? You put in the whipped cream and and a lot of people will use sugar and the vanilla and, and things like that or some sort of sweetener and then... And then you just put it in there, and probably having the jar cold would help. But, uh, but then instead you, of and then well, the you literally, shake that, it. literally shake it, yeah. The thing about so that cool. is, glass does not hold temperature as well as the metal does. Right, I mean, you right. could chill your glass, but I think it might be kind of an unnecessary okay. step because it wouldn't hold it anyway. But I love that tip. If you do use sugar, I recommend using 
organic confectioner's sugar because it dissolves better than granulated Perfect. sugar. Yeah. And I think it's really brilliant to put it in a jar and shake it. That's one of my favorite tips for making vinaigrette. Instead of whisking it by hand, you can shake put it. your olive oil, your vinegar, your mustard, whatever, in a jar and shake it. Well, I, so I think smart. it's brilliant because at a big family you know, outing, you get the kids tired. That's the goal, <laughs> whipped cream or not. But... Well, all the parents were passed out and the yeah. kids were still working on the jar. And... <laughs> if, they, if they shake it too much, they'll end up with butter. But that, Which isn't still... such a bad thing either, <laughs> that's, right? That's so bad. Well, yeah, if you forget <laughs> one kid somewhere in the corner. Butter. That's butter for tomorrow morning's pancakes. Yes, great. Thank you, Sita, again. Mm -hmm. um, the Holistic Bite. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we had such a fun show last week with Earl Herrick. Earl Herrick being the voice of the San Francisco produce market as we discussed early summer produce, the best picks, how to store them, and certainly how to eat them. Perfect for Father's Day if you're planning to be outdoors or even barbecue. Uh, we had lots of tips on what's great in the produce aisle, and I think we'll get back to that a little bit later in the show again as barbecue time is coming. If you missed that show, check it out at organicconversation.com or iTunes, where all of our episodes are available as podcasts free of charge. And of course, you can follow us as well on facebook.com forward slash organicconversation for produce tips, recipes, and the latest and greatest on the real food movement and much, much more. Today, we are taking a different angle on Father's Day, celebrating dads for their role in their families and in society, and following the great work of Mark Perlman, author and the founder of the Nurturing Fathers program, who, with his son Corey, knows what it takes to be a fully integrated, loving caregiver, and because of his struggles with this role, in his early fathershood life, is now offering a journey of healing and hope to raise the nurturing father. Mark Perlman and his son, Corey, are joining us today from Sarasota, Florida, and Atlanta, Georgia. Mark and Corey, are you with us? I am. This is Mark Perlman. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sita. It's great to have you. Is, is Corey with us, too, or not yet? I am here. Yes, yes. for having me, guys. I don't know how you guys did that with two calls at the same time, but that just shows your connection now, <laughs> having done this wonderful work. Um, thanks for being on the show today, making time. I know um, this is much needed work, and there's great demand for growing the, the or raising the nurturing father. Mark, tell us how this started. I know you were experiencing the very need for your very work, actually, in your own early fatherhood. Absolutely, Helga. In fact, uh, when my wife was pregnant with my first child 41 years ago now, just to date myself a little, I was feeling excited. I was feeling like I want this nurturing passion came about me that I kind of have never felt before as I anticipated the birth of this first baby. And I felt that this is probably the most important job I was going to do. Questioned if I was up for the task, but was prepared to roll my sleeves up and get involved and take on my fair share. When the baby was born, I was there, uh, helped deliver the baby. And, you know, for that first year or two, many things were going well as planned, but then there were some that weren't. I found myself doing some of the same practices that my mother and father did. I was hitting some. I was yelling some. I was frustrated. And I never felt good about that, never felt good about that. Um, 
what I've decided to do is see if I could seek out some information to be able to correct or change, give me the opportunity to change those unwanted behaviors. And there wasn't that much around at the time, but I discovered a program called the Nurturing Parenting Program, a program for the better part of 35 years. And that provided me with the tools of the trade for fatherhood and for parenthood in general that I employed, I took to heart, and it just changed the trajectory of my fathering. And as a result, I have not practiced those hitting and yelling tools. I have found others that not only feel better and fit my values, but work better. My professional work was devoted to, to, to fathers and families uh, for, for about 35 years, mm-hmm. the best interest of children and, and therefore working with their parents, because I realized you can't work with the children in isolation. You must really involve the parents. Yes. And around 1997, it became clear to me that fathers were really being dis- discounted and discouraged in our society. They were ridiculed in TV commercials. They were considered not very important. They were being overlooked, and this really bothered me personally and professionally, and it is then that I sat down to write the Nurturing Father, what became the Nurturing Fathers program, and decide that those various tools and attitudes that so benefited me, I would then share with as many men and fathers in their role to help them on the same journey. So that first baby that you were talking about, was that actually Corey? Corey was the second. Corey, Corey was the, the second. Growth and self-awareness. <laughs> That's great. Okay, uh, yes. His older brother, Jamie, is uh, working in the theater district in New York City, also very close. Corey, how, how was now looking back to your childhood, not knowing exactly what your dad went through with, with the first child, but how, just um, to, to get started, I want to bring you in because you're involved in amazing work in the prison system where you bring this kind of work forward, but... Just um, if you can just comment on you as a very, very early on child experiencing your dad having gone through, you know, seeking help and, and becoming a more complete man. How was that for you? It was good. You know, it was um, what I always noticed in the difference between myself and my friends is, you know, they might have talked about um, their consequences and mine always revolved around talking. And uh, the joke that always ran in my family is, the thing I was most concerned about is having another talk with my dad. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, he did practice these techniques of, um, of you know, uh, using his words and, and listening and, and confronting me as, as an individual, which I now have come to appreciate. But there were times where I was like, sure. Dad, can you just hit me or something? <laughs> yeah, get it over with. <laughs> oh, that's... Well, <laughs> boy, that brings back some memories, um, as it does for, I'm sure, everybody listening. Yeah. So, you know, um, my father, it seemed like my father, who grew up in an older generation, it seemed like he didn't know how to nurture. It's like, I think he wanted to, but he didn't know how to. Um, are men less prone than women uh, to know how to nurture? Or is that uh, something that, uh, that we're all able to do? a wonderful question. I appreciate you asking it. If I was to answer that 20 or 30 years ago, I would simply say, yes, we're less prone to nurturing, only because, you know, we're the hunters. We're the protectors. Uh, we, we tend to do violent things when we're confronted, not known for our patience and our communication and our listening skills. 
So a case can be made for that, but today I don't really say that that, that, that that doesn't come natural to us. I don't think we're less prone. I think our society and our culture has never cultivated that in men. It was never considered part of our manliness, and we don't have preparation and lessons for it. In fact, when I used to do a group activity over the years, I would divide the room up and we'd define the traditional role of father, the traditional role of mother, the traditional role of male, the traditional role of female, and nurturing was always on the female side. There was never even consideration for putting it on the male side. So what I did in, with the, the Nurturing Fathers program, even by its name, is I decided to join fathering with nurturing because I felt in myself, as you mentioned, Helga, it brought me to maturity, it brought me to consciousness. I felt so much more fulfilled as a person as well as a capable parent once I emb- embraced that role. And I think the culture has really begun to move and change. I mean, you can see it in our sports on TV. Um, when, a, when a man wins a basketball championship or a baseball World Series, his son or daughter is in his arms. His child is by his side. When somebody has to leave because of a career-ending injury or because of a trade to a different team, they often shed tears in front of the cameras. So the icons of the sports world and masculinity now are showing a much more tender and vulnerable side, and they are definitely celebrating fathers. You were talking about hunters and gatherers. It's not because of a need for violence at all. Actually, I think that hunters and gatherers, that is the expression, one of the many, of course, but that is one expression of being of being nurturing, you know, to, to bring to provide for the family. I think that is a need all people or specifically all men share. But without good role models, it's of course hard. But you're right. I've seen, especially in the last couple of years, scenes where, you know, uh, in, in sport events where people ran up to their dad or vice versa and really, really moving. So that's, it's changing. And one of the heroic journeys I see in my work as I travel around the country with, with this work and meet with people. And the young men in the room always impress me because they They evidence a passion within themselves of being a good father, and they've made it a priority, and I'm very encouraged by it. Some of these men had good fathers, so they had role models to draw from. Many men did not have good role models. They may have been abused. Many were abandoned. They had no fathers at all. But right across the board, each of those is drawing from their past and saying, with me, this is going to start with positive caring fatherhood, involved fatherhood. I am going to be there for my children and try and get this right. Yeah, breaking... a really powerful new force that I see. Breaking the cycle of pain that was... Um, you know, passed on from generation to generation. We are talking with Mark Perlman, the author and founder of the Nurturing Fathers Program, and his son, Corey Perlman, the president of eBoot Camp, uh, who's also taking the work of the Nurturing Father even into prison systems, and we want to talk about that in a minute. Um, you're listening to an Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Wilkay. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. So, Mark, you were saying that there there is a looking at the past to understand how you're going to to change it as you enter into fatherhood, something that you've seen in a lot of younger men now. How do you, do you, is that the key, looking into the past, or what is it that you found that allows men to become the nurturers that they're born to be? Well, you know, one of the key factors, Sita, I would say, um, and I was gifted with it somehow, and seemed that Corey has been as well, is the curiosity or the willingness to be open to learning. If I approach fathering with the mentality that, I don't need any help. I don't need any information. In fact, to admit that I needed information would be an admission of failure or weakness. I'm stuck with what I got. 
and there's not going to be real growth. So I think the key thing is just being open to new learning. And, and, and as men, we, we like tools. We like instructions. If I'm going to fix the toilet or tune up a car, give me a handbook. Show me how it's done. And it's no different with fathering. It's an important job, and there should be a roadmap, a toolkit, or a handbook. So it is not an admission of failure. And that openness to learning I find to be an a- absolutely crucial piece of it. Great. And we do want to hear um, feedback and what you've experienced. And, Corey, talk about your work in the prison system. Um, you're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic today is Raising the Nurturing Father, a journey of healing and hope. That and more when we come back. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. It's not always easy and sometimes life can be deceiving. I'll tell you one thing, it's always better when we're together. Mm, it's always better when we're together. Yeah, we'll look at them stars and we're together. Well, it's always better when we're together Yeah, it's always better when we're together And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic today is Raising the Nurturing Father, a journey of healing and hope. In light of Father's Day, we are dedicating the full hour to a program that focuses on providing the healing and tools for full integration of the caregiving father in families and societies everywhere. We're speaking with Mark Perlman, um, the author and founder of the Nurturing Fathers program, and his son, Corey Perlman. Mark, before we broke you had something to add to the the question of how can men become like what what are the tools that are needed to to become the nur- nurturing fathers that we all as complete men are naturally are and see to ask if we need to look back at our own fathers now on yes. week one of the 13 week nurturing fathers program i choose to do two things one is really ask each man to look back and define who his father was now, that's not looking for particularly good information or bad. It's just asking them to contact the root, that person who was their father. And from that root, they need to assess what's the best that he had to offer, what don't I need to carry forth, and what new stuff might I want to add to my own. So it's a self-empowerment journey, but it starts with honoring and looking at where it began. And you can't deny those influences. You either embrace them and learn from them, or they tend to drive us 
kind of unconsciously. So yes, we do look back. The other thing that we look back on and discuss is the birth of our children. We each go around the room and reminisce and tell the story about where we were for the birth of our children, how we felt with the mother of the child, with the baby when they came out. And that is a profound and deep sharing when the men go back and talk about when they first became fathers and that baby first was placed in their arms. A wonderful way of getting focused on fatherhood and bringing some of the emotional reality to the surface. Yeah, I'm sure the most beautiful and perhaps for some the most terrifying moment, knowing that now they have to live up to being the best they can, which is really where it starts, only having their father, um, for most of them, as the role model. Mark, it's a it's a 13-week program, um, two hours, two and a half hours each week to dive into the past and analyze and give the tools needed to become a father. Corey, what inspired you to take this, either the full program or part of it, into the prison system and, and work with inmates there? Well, um, it was already in uh, some state prisons and such, but very few federal prisons. And uh, I had just recently went down and got certified to be a nurturing father's trainer just simply because I became a dad. So in the early days, I may have not had as much interest in my, what my dad did, but when I became a father, uh, all of a sudden I said, oh, man, i gotta, I got to learn how to do this thing, you know. So uh, when I came back up here to Atlanta, I had a good friend of mine who was mentoring a group of inmates at the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. And what, what, what would normally take years to get through the system um, took weeks because of the power of this gentleman that I'm partnered with. And we started the Nurturing Fathers Program at the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary this past January. And, you know, to say it's been a life changer, a game changer, for me, would be an understatement, and I think the guys would say the same thing. You know, the bottom line is um, this program is so meaningful, whether you're, you know, out in society doing very well or you're an inmate at a prison, we're all trying to be the best dad, the best human being we possibly can, but specifically for a father, the best dad we can be. And these guys, they're still being parents, even though they're locked up. Um, and they're eventually, many of them are going to get out and back into society, and, and their goal is to try to make it so that their sons and daughters don't repeat the same mistakes that they made. And uh, as Dad said, their toolbox is very limited. Um, they learned from where their fathers were, and most of them weren't around, or they were, um, you know, it's corporal punishment. Just being in there with these guys has just been, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're amazing human beings, and they're all in their own right. They're willing to learn and grow with us, and we're giving them a new set of tools, one of which in particular is what we call power over power two. And they're so used to power over, you know, in the prison system, you have to be here and you have to do this and you have to do that. No choices. But that doesn't work as well with kids. But when we give choices to our kids, you know, my daughter's three years old, she likes to do the opposite of what I tell her. <laughs> but if I give her choices and I give her positive consequences and negative consequences, she typically does the right thing. And just that alone has just opened the doors for these guys to find a different way to parent, and it's extremely exciting. So listening to this, it sounds like you're actually creating a whole nether generation, giving them a, having them become role models themselves for their own children, which will, which will change society, basically, even from inside prison walls. Um, not only that, um, not only are we, cha we breaking the cycle, but we're also planting seeds for other inmates. These guys are taking their Nurturing Fathers program books with them, and they're sharing it with other inmates. I mean, we are starting a movement. Um, we want this entire prison to become a university for better dads, and, uh, and we're just beginning. 
And so your work within the prison, has it changed? Like you, you said as you were starting the, the conversation that you didn't really pay a lot of attention maybe to your dad's work until you became a father. And now you're inside a prison teaching other fathers this work. Has that again changed your relationship with your father? Oh, immensely. I mean, my dad and I, as you probably can already begin to see in the surface, we have a great relationship. We, we always have. Um, but this has provided a whole other layer to that relationship, uh, you know, respect and admiration uh, that he has for me. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually true. <laughs> well, uh, yes, um, we, we are brothers. We're, we're, we're father, son, and, and we're best friends. So it, it's pretty neat. Well, I love what you're saying because it actually expands on how much this this work is beyond being a father. It's about being a friend. It's about being a mentor. It's about being a human being. And something that was really interesting for me listening to this show is I was thinking about what I want our listeners to get out of it. I have a lot of peers who aren't yet fathers. And so this information is helping them to embrace this other side of their being that allows them to be more complete beings in their life, even before fatherhood. And it makes me think about what that means for nature, for ecology, for the whole nourishing of this planet. Yeah, and, it's, it's before fatherhood and beyond fatherhood, yes. it seems like. It is. And, and you know, the, through the whole life cycle, as Sita is saying, this is a human development program. It's yes. focused on fathering and fathering skills, but it involves communication. It involves openness to our own feelings and others' feelings. It involves conflict resolution without violence. So this nurtures marriage. This nurtures our relationship with employees or employers when we're in the business world, and most importantly, certainly with our children. But as the men take this nurturing aspect that they've now cultivated, they, it goes beyond the family very quickly to the community. So the presence of nurturing men, nurturing fathers, begins to reshape a community. And I like to think that eventually it can create a political system, a world system, even our relationship with the planet and with the earth that is um, much more life-giving and life-supporting. Yeah, what's, what's beautiful, it strikes me that with your work going back into you know the, their their role, the, the beginning father's role to their father, and maybe even beyond that to the to his father, and also forward as you know new life with your father clients is is about to come or is coming or has just been brought to this world. It's it's healing the father in its role to both in the middle at the same time, right? So it's healing the past, it's healing the future, and it's healing the present. Absolutely. And one of the questions that the fathers do work with in the Nurturing Fathers program is, who do I want my daughter to become? What are the qualities I would be most proud of? What, how should she expect to be treated by a man? Uh, that starts with me. And the same thing, like, how, what do I want from my sons? What qualities would most delight me when he leaves our home, goes out to college, the military, the work world? And those very qualities I would like to see in him, well, those are the qualities that I need to instill. So in many ways, this is a self-reinforcing personal growth journey. I am a different man today than who I would be if I didn't have children. My children were a constant mirror to the best of me and to the worst of me, so it gave me the opportunity to really continue to shape myself and be a, be a better man as a result of having these two sons. Yes, may all women walk home safely one day, and um, if people want to get involved, actually whether or not, they, I assume it's just for men, right? 
this program. This program is the Nurturing Fathers program. Yes. yes. And but it, you don't have to expect a baby yet. Are there people no. in your class that, you know, may become a father in five years or in ten Absolutely. years, but they want to do the work now? And we, we've welcomed men who were not fathers, maybe didn't even plan to be fathers, but just were interested in the learning and the growth. So it can really benefit any man who, who wants to open that door. Are you traveling with this program around the country? I know it's based out of Florida, but um, nurturingfathers.com is the website. How can people get involved? Well, nurturingfathers.com is a great place to start. It's got wonderful testimonials, articles. Uh, you can contact me through that. I'd love to talk to any of your listeners about what's going on in their life and how they resonate with what we've discussed today. There is a book available on the website as, a, as an, an e-book, a download. It's called The Nurturing Father's Journal. And that is just a workbook with 24 short chapters that goes through all this material and helps them, uh, guides them in this, this journey, and they can do it within the comfort of their own home. Yes, and you have state affiliates. You do have programs that you, you offer. Um, and I do travel around. Yeah, I yes. travel. I'll be going up to Minnesota at the end of this week, and I train other people to train the program and develop it in the community. Great. So we might be teaming up with you to offer something like this in the San Francisco Bay Area soon. I would be delighted. If you, My if brother you... lives out there, and I'm, I always enjoy coming out there. <laughs> Great. Please that, let us know when you thank do Thank you so much, both of you. That's Mark Perlman and Corey Perlman, his son, for your great work for healing your relationship as a symbol and really an indicator for societal healing that is taking place and that your work so greatly supports. Thank you both. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you. It's delightful to talk to you and thank you for the wonderful work you all do. And happy Father's thank Day you. to yes, both of you. Yes, happy you. Father's thank you Day. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You're listening right. to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And coming up is the topic of what's in season, barbecue. Grab the barbecue with your son as a dad or vice versa, and we will look at what's perfect for this summer time. Our topic today, Raising the Nurturing Father, a journey of healing and hope. And that website again is nurturingfathers, all one word, dot com. Beautiful work. We'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. When the night falls on you, you don't know what to do. Nothing you confess could make me love you less. I'll stand by you. I'll stand by you. Won't let nobody hurt. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic today, Raising the Nurturing Father, A Journey of Healing and Hope. Wonderful show with Mark and Corey Perlman. 
That's nurturingfathers.com. Great work if you're interested. And in light of Father's Day, we are dedicating what's in season now, the weekly tip and update from the world of produce to the world of barbecue. Mark, what's in season? Well, we just decided that today we're going to talk about all great things on the grill. And that, of course, all great produce things on the grill. Um, and, of course, we have our friend and uh, companion and wonderful produce nerd, uh, Earl Herrick, uh, the voice of the San Francisco produce market from Earl's Organic Produce, on the line with us to talk about what he likes to grill. Hey, Earl. Mm, good morning. Hey, hey good great morning. to talk to you. It was so good to have you in the studio last week, too. Oh, that was, that was so so much fun. Thank yes. you so much. Yeah, Father's Day, middle of June. How perfect is that? I mean, come on. It's like divine design. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a garden, you can walk right out and pick some things. But the stores are full of wonderful, fresh, local product. And it's all grillable. I mean, pretty much anything you can find, you can grill. Which is yeah. really interesting because usually people know maybe corn, of course, wonderful, yeah. and we can talk about different ways of doing that. But, you know, it, it doesn't usually go... I For me, peaches, completely new. So what yeah. are some of your things, your favorite... Your, your, Eight favorites that people would maybe not. Your twenty favorites. Well, it's yeah. Earl. Earl. Why don't you just yeah, look? At, why don't you just give us like your thousand favorites, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, we will be on for well, the next I, week. I can't say your two. It's Earl. Come on. Well, yeah. Well, I, well I, hands down, of course, corn. Corn is my yeah. favorite, but um, mushrooms. You know, mm. por, por, uh, portobello mushrooms. Right. I mean, just simple marinade however you complicated you want that to be. And just, you know, because the portobellas are big, thick, and meaty, throw those cats on, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll complement anything you want. Nice. Um, of course, the whole range of vegetables. And, you know, there's no end to it, whether it's asparagus, carrots, beans, squash. But another one I really like is potatoes. I like to get the little ones and, and put them on there, cut them in half, put them on there. Little, uh, I, I like to throw a lot of butter on there. That's that's one of my things. Um, and you're right about the peaches. That's a new one for me, too. And balsamic vinegar, some olive oil, bingo. And what's um, what's true for peaches must be true, Mark, for other stone fruit as well, right? Yeah, Apricots, plums, plums, anything, yeah. really? Yeah, and, and you know, when you're looking at that, it's like a peach, you're so not going to grill a long time, right? You right. put you brush with a little oil, and if you did like a half, you can do like a half peach, Upside you just down. cut them in half, and you want to make sure your peaches are a little firmer than what you would eat them, so that this, because they will soften up in the grilling process, but only like two minutes. Yeah, put them just face down after you've taken the pit out, after you cut them in half, face down it makes it really easy to move them around until they're fork tender they're mm. fantastic and yeah. even beyond the stone fruit oh. i have to say grilled <laughs> pineapple oh uh, wow yeah grilled so pineapple good. or avocados I, never had what? it really? it's, earl you uh, i don't know if yep. you've ever had avocados but grilled avocados you can do the same thing you can cut them in half take out the seed and just yep. a little brush with uh, like a little olive oil or with some balsamic or anything like that salt and pepper yep. pop them down there you want to peel them first before you do that, and then you pop them on the grill, really just quick, two minutes, and they're just a grilled avocado. That oil comes out, it's fantastic. You know, 
another good thing for real quick grill would be melons. If you can pick out a nice firm fleshed melon, throw it on there just a little bit, you know, just enough to get the kind of the grill marks on there. You know, it's really endless what you can do. And um, so, you know, for me, I like to keep the marinade simple. You know, whether it's just a little olive oil and some uh, lemon and maybe some herbs or some uh, balsamic vinegar, keep it simple, get on the grill, you know, uh, have a, have your adult beverage at hand and have a good time. Well, and, you know, just Earl was talking about melons. Just a really quick tip on melons is when you have them, like cantaloupe's really good, especially if you get a little bit firmer cantaloupe. Mm-hmm. The really key thing for cantaloupes is hot and fast, hot flame fast grill. You don't want to leave them on there a bunch. You're basically, because there's a lot of water in there, right? So basically you're just sticking them on the hot grill. You're like you're like Earl said, you're making some grill marks. You're turning it over. It heats it up. And if you take grilled peaches or grilled melon and you put it on some uh, uh, vanilla ice cream or some, (laughs) some sort of vanilla sorbet, if you're not doing dairy, Oh my goodness! You will not leave the barbecue area, and you will probably marry that person who's serving that to you. That's how good it is. Yeah. Marrying that marinated person. Marrying that marinated. I mean, really, that it's it's one of those because the, that's the cool and the heat together, right? And mm. then the sweet. Oh my goodness! Wow. So hearing melons and pineapple, with I I've never eaten off the grill, to be honest. And I, I love spring onions just to add to that. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, some yeah, garlic. Leaves. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Even peas. You know, if you if you use aluminum foil, anything that would fall through the cracks in the barbecue. Oh, you can that's what I forgot. In a little, you can put it in a little, <laughs> a little pouch and it actually, you know, steams itself into ripeness. But is there anything, Earl, that you can't use? Is there something that you remember that, you know, maybe well, not ideal? No, I don't, I don't think anything is really not going to work. I mean, there's some fragile things like lettuces and whatnot, but, you know, people do that. Grilled romaine? Some some grilled romaine they were offering. Yes. So, you know, I, I don't know that there isn't anything. Uh, I think uh, escarole and the different types of radicchios, those are nicely grilled because they're bitter, and that grilling can can offset that a bit. Yeah, and a little well, charcoal romaine or so with a portobello wrapped into it. Yeah. Uh, delicious. Yeah, I mean, even things like blueberries, you put in, in, a, uh, in a little aluminum foil and, and, and put a little lemon or something in there, balsamic vinegar. I don't think there's anything that, it would not work. Wow, no limit. I love it. How about it. that? <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> that is so exciting. Okay, try this barbecue season anything. Anything <laughs> you find that is good, try it in the produce aisle if it's good. And you mark, say, in general, right? Keep it on the on the less ripe side. And the firm side. Well, firmer, the firmer, firmer, yeah, firmer than side. you normally would, yeah. Because yeah. it'll just fall apart if it's not. Great, right, right. Great. Wow. And the best way to get those grill marks, FYI, you don't want to turn it a lot. You want to lay it down once and let it and let it sit until it gets those grill marks and then lift it and turn it 90 degrees and put it back down. That's how you get those X's. If you keep lifting and switching and checking, then it's going to get the flavor, but you're not going to get that really gorgeous, intense grill look. Well, I tell you what, I've got to go because it's time to go (laughs) heat up that grill. (laughs) Earl, you go heat up your grill. and And, you know, just remember that grills just want to have fun. <laughs> um, so, thank thanks, you. Earl. As always, thank a pleasure. You, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, take it easy. Nice. Wow. What's in season? That cool. is a lot of fun. It was a beautiful hour, and it's so refreshing and enlightening, and it gives me so much hope for all of us fathers out there, being a father of two daughters, that, yes, you can always learn. There's always tools for you to do. Go out and just 
continue to make yourself the best father or listener or nurturer that you possibly could be. Yeah, that was the scene that Mark was describing in, in his work, I guess today. Um, I think it was the Super Bowl last year where the moment they won, he ran up and, and grabbed his like, two-year-old, three-year-old son from his wife and like held him up just as he would hold up the trophy of the, mm. right? But that was way more important to him. Beautiful, beautiful scene. So it is changing even in sports where it's very much about masculinity and, you know, winning and competing. And yet it's right there in front of millions of, of viewers breaking the cycle, embracing the sun and shedding tears, you know. Well, in Corey's prison program, that's, that's life-changing for people who have no role models around that. Something that I was really encouraged to hear him say is that he's noticing more of these nurturing qualities in this younger generation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of men who are not yet fathers. Mm -hmm. And I love that they have that seed now, that they're in touch with that seed now. And it reminds me of a quote, Mark, that you shared on the Mother's Day show Mm -hmm. about how when a child is born, a mother is also born at the same time. She didn't exist before. The same is true about a father. When a child is born, the father is born. Because Mark Perlman was saying, I had my child and suddenly it was like, I don't know how to do this. I've got to learn how to do this. And that is so true. And and that there's a whole generation of men who are starting to get in touch with what they need to know so that they know to ask when the time is right. Yeah, I actually don't even think it's the seat. I think it's a natural coming back to the whole, to a whole, being a whole man. I think nurturing is part of the whole man. We just, you know, have veered off from that in, in some instances quite a bit. And we are now gravitating back to it. That's kind of nature's response. It wants to be complete. It wants to be whole. So mm-hmm. yeah, beautiful work. And now would be a time to turn to Helga's organic moment because yeah. it usually is a place to Where's the music? get a little awareness. <laughs> I, I hear it coming. Yes, that's my organic moment. Yeah. <laughs> Tell it, brother. Yeah. My organic moment. That's my <laughs> weekly review of what's beautiful and inspiring. And oh boy, did I have a moment. I watched an, an Animal Planet show, and I think it's amazing how technology, I mean, they have always really been good, um, you know, Jacques Cousteau, those films, right? But the quality and the technology they're using now where the mini camera is in the owl nest or in the fox hole, right? And you can see the five little foxlings, whatever they're called, and the mom. I mean, unbelievable. I don't know how they do it. So I watched this episode on the Arctic and the Antarctic, mostly a show on snow, (laughs) really, and what it does to life. And then spring coming and summer and then snow again. There was one an amazing story and it reminded me of the topic of today. It's all about relationships. It's the relationship between the crow and the wolverine. The wolverine is this badger-like animal. It's a voracious eater. It's constantly hungry. It's smart as hell. It, it eats you know, only what it needs and then it stores away the rest for later in the year. It's the only animal that scientists believe is never hungry. It's never hungry because it always has freezers full of meat hanging somewhere. Brilliant. But it doesn't have a particularly good smell. And so the relationship between the crow and the wolverine is the crow remembers the dead carcasses of the tundra, of the places that are completely covered with 10 or 20 feet of snow. And so during the winter, when the crow gets hungry, it looks for the wolverine And it shows the wolverine the way to the snowed-over carcass. 
until the Wolverine finds it and then digs it free and then chews it up. And only because of the chewing and the ripping through the meat of the Wolverine actually does the crow get to eat because it would neither be able to get to the animal nor it's frozen block solid. It's a, it's a frozen solid body of, of a dead animal. It would never be able to pick enough meat off of it. So the crow shows the wolverine where it is. The wolverine eats its part and leaves lots of meat pieces flying around all over, which then allows the crow to survive during the winter. I think that's fascinating because I've seen in nature before there are relationships where one does something for the other, but not in return. Turn. The wolverine and the crow, neither one would survive if it wasn't for that relationship, if it wasn't for that partnership. So makes me wonder where else we can lend a hand or our talent to help someone make it through this life and maybe in return we'll make it through ours much easier as well. <laughs> it makes me wonder why all these crows are appearing in my life at this point in time. See, so. how can we lend a hand and <laughs> what do we get in return? Yeah, those synergies, symbiosis, amazing. It is amazing. And I love that, too, about um, asking for what you need. Not that the crow necessarily asked the wolverine, but it, it is, like you said, a very symbiotic relationship. And I think that a lot of people are have an easier time giving than they do asking. The health of all is dependent on the health of the individuals, and we can all help each other. Yes, and it's not about just the benefit of what we can be for one another. Since you know this is our life, it's actually just like with the wolverine and the crow. It is survival. This is it. This is the one life we have. And just as neither one would make it between that partnership, you know, we can die happily and well loved, and having loved well, and um, or not. And it's our choice today to put that in place. I'm all for it. <laughs> well, happy Father's Day, everyone. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. An Organic Conversation is a production of the Organic Media Network. If you miss parts of this show or for any other episode, visit iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. We're your hosts, Helga Helberg. Mark Mulcahy. And Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.